0: You turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, page number 1399. 1399 in the Pew Bibles. Colossians chapter 1. As I take walks in the morning early, I have been carrying my little New Testament with me and I've been trying to memorize a portion of this. part of Paul's epistle in Colossians, and he starts talking in verse, I think it's verse uh, 10, verse 9, he asks that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious, strengthened all power, according to his glorious might, joyously giving thanks to the Father. Now I've been meditating as I got to that point, that phrase in which it says, increasing in the knowledge of God. And I've been saying, Lord, that's what I want you to do in my life. I want to have an increasing, intimate knowledge of You. And I'm praying that for You as well. In our series on the attributes of God, I'm praying, Lord, don't just fill our minds with a a long list of facts about God. I'm praying, God, help us to increase in our true knowledge of You that we might truly know You. I find it interesting as I've meditated on this passage that Paul connects the reason he's praying that God would increase the knowledge of God in them has to do with the fact that he's desiring them to have greater motivation. So they live a life that's pleasing and live a life worthy of the Lord to please Him in every part of their life. He says, people are not going to do that. They're not going to have the motivation to do that. You can't come up with enough rules and regulations to get people to have the desire to do that unless they know God. Unless they're so amazed and awed and impressed by God and they're so thankful to God that they have a desire to live for Him in every aspect of their life. And So this is becoming a real... Concern of my heart that we pray that God would increase our knowledge of Him. And he also prays that God would empower them. I think it's clear that, God, that Paul realizes we need help. And the one who need, we need the help from is God Himself. And I've also been uh, thinking about other prayers in the New Testament which Paul prayed for other believers. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 19, he prays that God's people would know what is the surpassing greatness of God's power toward us who believe. He's praying that we would know the power that God has toward us. And then verse uh, 16 of chapter 3 in Ephesians, he says, I pray that they would be strengthened with the power through God's Spirit in the inner man. Some of us think of only of God's power trying to help us on the outer man. That is, helping us so that we would have uh, better health, better strength to be able to get through the day, stamina, all those kind of things. I don't think there's anything wrong with praying that, but it's just interesting that Paul prays that we might be strengthened in the inner man, in what really goes on inside of us, in our thought life, in our zeal, our motivations, those kind of things. Well, clearly, uh, Paul is concerned about God's people knowing God's power. And we do that Of course, he knows that. I know it because I'm a weak person. I'm a vulnerable person. Uh, And the only hope of victory and growth and greater holiness rests in the strength and the might of God. And so this morning I want us to look and consider about who is God as He has revealed Himself in the Scriptures. He is God Almighty. Or as we say in the notes, He is the surpassing greatness of God's power. I want us to unpack that a little bit today just in a introductory kind of way uh, as we look at this massive topic regarding God's power. I want to do so in three points. The first point is this. I want to consider God's omnipotence defining it uh, or describing it in ways that we can understand what we're saying when we say that God is all-powerful. You can't read scripture very long if, until you become uh, aware of God's statements about his own power or someone else affirming How much power God has. And in the Bible, we use the term omnipotent as a way of describing that God has all power. Consider several examples of this. In Genesis chapter 17, Abram meets God face to face and God says to him, I am God Almighty. In Hebrew, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. The question posed in Psalm 24, Who is the king of glory? The psalmist asked the question. And he provides the answer. The Lord, strong and mighty. Indeed, when you think about the angels in heaven, what do they do? They are ascribing praise to God by noting His supreme power. Revelation 19, verse 6 says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns title given to the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He is called Mighty God. And interestingly enough, when Mary is told, the mother of Jesus, that she would bear a son in a miraculous way, having just conceived this child, what does she do? She prays and says, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. On and on and on we could go, talking about the Mighty One. And that's a significant statement because, as we read in Scripture earlier in Psalm 115, the idols that were worshipped by the people around and surrounding God's people in Israel there, many times the Canaanites or even the Romans, they were worshipping all sorts of gods. They are powerless gods. They are The, the, the idol itself is fashioned by mere humans. And so they contrast the gods that are worshipped by all these people in in the various forms of idolatry. But the true and living God, according to Psalm 115, is the one who has made heaven and earth. He has all power. And the God revealed in Scripture does whatever He pleases. That's because He's God Almighty. Now that raises a question, a very important one. Please follow me here. When we affirm that God is all-powerful... Does this mean that God can do anything and everything? The Bible states unequivocally that God cannot do a number of things. Now, that should pique your interest. The Bible says that God cannot do a number of things. And this is what I've called in your notes, I'm trying to describe the boundaries, if you will, of God's power. We're going to define what those boundaries include. For example, God cannot lie. He cannot tell falsehood, Numbers 23, Hebrews 6. He cannot deny himself, in 2 Timothy 2. He cannot be tempted by evil, James 1. God cannot condone sin or look with favor on sin, Habakkuk chapter 1. And he cannot swear by anyone greater than himself, Hebrews 6. And so you always run into people who raise those questions. Hey, I got a question for you, Are you Christians. Uh, You know, can God make a stone that is so heavy that he himself can't lift it? And you think, oh, that's just profound, you know. But C.S. Lewis has a great answer to questions like that. He says nonsense is still nonsense, whether you're talking about God or anything else. It's like asking the question, you know, uh, can God make a triangle with four sides? I mean, it's just, what kind of question is that? It's absurd, So don't waste your time talking about those kinds of questions. But it's important that we understand and and define what are we saying when we say God is all-powerful. And here's a very helpful uh, quote in your notes by Stephen Charnock, the Puritan writer. He has two massive volumes on the attributes and existence of God. And this is what he says. The power of God is that ability and strength whereby God can bring to pass whatsoever he please. He can do anything He wants. Whatsoever His infinite wisdom can direct, and whatsoever the infinite purity of His will can resolve. So when we talk about God is almighty, God is omnipotent, we are saying God can do anything He chooses to do in accordance with His nature. That's what we're saying. Now, understood in this way, God's omnipotence affirms that He has no limits other than Himself in terms of what He will do and can do. Over and over, the Bible affirms that God is able, God is able, God is able. Listen to some of the things that the Bible affirms about God's ability. It says that God is able to give us an inheritance, Acts 20. He is able to make all grace abound to believers, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He is able to aid those who are tempted in Hebrews chapter 2. He is able to subdue all things to Himself. Philippians chapter 3. Our God is able to save to the uttermost those who come to faith through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 7. And God is able to keep His people from stumbling and to present His people faultless before His throne of glory. Jude chapter, verse 24. When God chooses to use His power, And he exerts his power and accomplishes some mighty action. Do you realize that God never becomes weary? He never becomes worn out. I find that to be, more and more as I think about it, an aspect of God's power that is totally something we cannot relate to at all. Because I don't know about you, but when I work hard, and when I do them physically active and I do a lot of hard work in a certain, certain period of time, whether it's in the gym or whether it's doing lawn uh, work or, or trying to carry heavy stuff when you're moving your, your kids into college, you know, you carry all their stuff up three flights of stairs and all that stuff, you, you become aware, I am exhausted. And at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, I'm telling you, I am just wasted. Now, can you identify with what it means to be exhausted? Have you ever been exhausted in your life? You ever know what exhaustion means, right? You're just like, I can't do another thing. It only takes, what, a several hours of doing that for us. And we're just, we need a whole night of rest and maybe another day of rest as well, depending on how bad those muscles are and how sore they are. Look what Tozer wrote regarding this incredibly unique aspect of God's power that he's not, he doesn't get exhausted or tired. Since God, has at his command all the power in the universe. The Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. All his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for renewal of strength. That is unique about God and Something that's not true of us at all. And sometimes I think we forget that. Sometimes I think we project onto God. Well, God, you did this real thing, great thing in the past. You must be a little weary now because you're not doing as much. No, that's not the way God is at all. We need to understand that God's attributes, whether we're looking at His power today, we, last week we looked at His holiness or His unchanging nature, His immutability. All those aspects of God and attributes of God, remember now, they all work in harmony with each other. And it's important we understand that God's power is the same. His power complements all of His other attributes. You see, God's mercy, His compassionate uh, gestures and concern to help someone in need, His mercy would be feeble pity if He lacked the power to intervene and lacked the power to relieve that suffering. God's justice would be nothing more than a silent scarecrow without His power to punish and hold people accountable. And God's promises and faithfulness would be empty and irrelevant if He did not possess the power to accomplish what He has committed Himself to do. And So God's power is always subservient to His holiness. Remember we talked about that? That God's holiness indicates that in one sense he is without fault, he is perfect in every aspect of his moral purity, and he never uses his power in an abusive way to accomplish evil intentions. And that, I'm sure, is vividly contrasted with human nature, which is what? Absolute power in the hands of an absolute few people means what? You can guarantee this corruption. People abuse their power, human beings. That's why we have the checks and balances in our government, which work to some extent somewhat a little bit as it was originally designed to be, and it's been somewhat modified over the years. Anyway, but the point is what? Human nature doesn't change. People abuse power if they have it to wield as they choose to because they oftentimes will use it merely for their own benefit, whereas God says my power is Holy. It is never abused. Well, we've defined what we mean by God's omnipotence. I want to now think just briefly now, just take a quick overview and think about God's omnipotence as it has been displayed, displayed or expressed uh, according to Scripture. The Bible emphasizes God's power expressed, I would say, primarily, not exclusively, obviously, but primarily in three areas. The first is creation. The universe is that we live in, is not eternal. It was created ex nihilo, or out of nothing, by God who spoke and it came into existence. Now you think about that for a minute. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. They are still exploring and learning more about this universe, and I'm telling you, God spoke it and it came to being. Jeremiah chapter 10 says this, emphasizing God's unique power to create as opposed to the idols which must be created. Someone must fashion them. Someone must have carved them or or somehow uh, uh, established that this object that now is going to be worshipped has to somehow be uh, created by human beings. The Lord, that is Yahweh, is the true God, Jeremiah 10. He is the living and everlasting King. Idols did not make the heavens and the earth. They shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. God made the earth by His power. And by His understanding, He has stretched out the heavens. The Lord of hosts is the maker or the fashioner of all. So think about that. As you look around and see various forms of the creation that God has made. Do you think and ponder for a moment the great power that established and fashioned all those things? Sometimes we forget, and looking up at the stars and the skies and heaven, we don't take time to ponder it. We'll talk more about that in a minute as we apply some of these things, practically speaking. So we affirm that God is the creator of all things, tremendous power. Secondly, we affirm He also revealed His power in redemption, and a subsection of that I would call would be resurrection. With a heart full of pride and jealousy, Satan chose to take the role, not of the Creator, but of the Destroyer. And Satan is committed to ruining all that God has made. Satan, in his twisted desire to take what rightfully belongs to God, he and his forces of wickedness uses his power and use their power to enslave, to deceive, to oppress as many people as possible. You see, Satan's efforts have left this created world, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 21, enslaved in corruption. Corruption is part of now the the ebb and flow of every part of this uh, world we live in. And Satan, promoting those false religions, immoral practices, self-centered living, he continually is at war against God, And God's elect angels. And Jesus entered into this cosmic battle in a humble state of the incarnation. And He laid aside His rightful position of glory and honor and did battle against the devil and his demonic forces. And Jesus exhibited His power over satanic forces when He laid down His life voluntarily and was crucified in utter weakness on that cross for our sins, for the consequence of our being deceived and our own uh, devious desires to go our own way and to follow Satan's promptings. And Jesus' kingdom was established with great power when Jesus was raised from the dead and demonstrated that he is supreme over the one who looked as if he's taken full control over this earth, Satan, kingdom of darkness. And Jesus' kingdom now has been established and it's on the move. It is being expanded. It is now not fully manifested yet. But as the gospel is proclaimed, as the gospel is lived out, and as God works by His Spirit through His people to impact new life, to bring apart and impart new life, to create new hearts. And He also is seeking to take captives and set them free and overturn the curse of sin. And Jesus delivers His own from the domain of darkness, and He transfers them to the kingdom of His own Son. And one day Jesus' power is going to be fully revealed. And all forms of sin's curse will be removed, whether it be death or decay or suffering or injustice or sickness or enslavement or the defiance of God Almighty. And one day Jesus will restore all that was destroyed by sin. And Satan, and those who are in Christ, those who have repented, those who have understood their weakness and their blindness, and they have seen the Spirit of Christ open their eyes and realize how precious is Christ, how needed they have, how much they need Christ, and they've come acknowledging their sin and have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and received the gift of eternal life through Him alone. They have a promise that the God has caused them to be born again to what? To a living hope. 1 Peter chapter 1. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the great demonstration of power and victory as he came from the dead. And listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, And therefore those people are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What's he saying? He's saying, don't forget the big picture. Peter was writing to a people who were suffering persecution. It looked as if God's power, as if God had sort of had his arms, if you will, figuratively speaking, had somehow been uh, uh, restrained. Because here was Nero and here are various Roman emperors who were just killing Christians all over the place. They were dying left and right. And the church is saying, what is, what's with this? What do you mean? Where's the power of God? And Peter says, don't forget the big, big picture of the power of God that is meant to say that the God who is overturning Satan's schemes is also the God who says His power will sustain His people and see them through to the end where He will finally restore everything. Don't forget the big picture and the greatness of God's power over evil and over Satan and over the power of sin. And I wonder how many of us are aware of that great battle that's being waged. And we're aware of how much we need to see the work of God's power in our own hearts. Because the more you see your selfishness revealed, the more you see how you snap at people and the kind of things that come out of your mouth, and the way in which you behave, and the thoughts that go on in your mind, and the way in which you operate in secret, do you become aware of the reality of evil within yourself? And how great is the power you need from God. He is the God who redeems, the God who restores, the God who recreates, and the God who will one day renew all things. So they will give all glory and praise to God. He is indeed the all-powerful One. No one and nothing can thwart His ultimate victory. It's a done deal. The question is, which side are you on? Which kingdom are you in? Kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. Well, we talked about God's power. We've described it. We've talked about God's power displayed in creation, redemption, and in resurrection. I want to thirdly now, I want to think about God's omnipotence delved into. I had to think of some other word here. We have to sort of get into this and really think about what this means for you and me. Not just be up there in the theoretical realm, but down into the real everyday world. Let's apply it, first of all, to believers in Jesus Christ. There are a number of ways that God's omnipotence is to impact every Christian. First of all, as we meditate and reflect on the greatness of God's power, how can we help but worship Him? Worship Him. Give Him worth. Express to Him The greatness that we see and observe all around us. Our hearts are designed to do that. That's what we're geared to do. That's how God has made us, that we are to delight ourselves in God and be impressed with Him and His greatness and power. We're to be filled with wonder and awe and adoration. Psalm 21, the psalmist says, Be exalted, O Lord, in Your own strength. We will sing and praise Your power, the psalmist said. 1 Chronicles 29 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory. You ever had a time when you sit outside in the summertime and you watch a storm go by? I don't suggest you do this in the middle of the field or under a tree now. I'm just, uh, you know, under the porch or whatever you can do, but uh, even through the windows, indoors. But watch a summer storm, a lightning storm. And when you watch that storm, you feel the wind blowing and you sense the rain coming down and the powerful expression of, of energy that's released in a lightning bolt. And then the thunderous uh, sound of that, that, uh, what comes next in terms of the vacuum that's been created by this, the lightning bolt and the air sound moves together and you hear the thunder. You ever Take a moment and just worship God and say, God, your power is so awesome. And lift your heart in worshiping God. He is God Almighty. That's just a, a, a small inkling, a, a small expression of, of the vast power that is His. Or maybe it's just staring up at the stars at night and just imagining the amount of power it takes to call that into being. Worship is the appropriate expression of those who truly know God as God Almighty. I would say also, secondly, that knowing God as omnipotent ought to fill us with a sense of confidence in God's enablement we ought to be confident in God and his power at work in and through us you see God uses his strength to accomplish all that he calls us to do so when you say well you say well I surely feel inadequate to do what I'm supposed to be doing you know how do I share my faith with this guy that's at work and It's just such a messy situation and every time I get nervous and tongue-tied and and then you say, well, I have a situation where I'm trying to deal with some of my children and I'm trying to give them counsel and trying to help them work through some of their problems. I don't know how to really get through them sometimes. I feel like the more we talk, the more we argue. Do you ever feel and sense your inadequacy? There are areas of your life you say, I sure wish I could fill in the blank. What did Paul say? I can do all things. He doesn't just stop right there. That's, that's the thinking of modern man. Oh, I can do anything. I've been told that all my life. You know, every time I graduate, you can do anything. You know, it's like all this self-esteem talk. Paul didn't say that. He says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. He gives the credit to God. It's not him boasting about himself. And does he say doing anything, it means all things that God wants me to do. So the areas that you know you need to be doing and you're struggling to do them, then you have to turn to the one who can enable you to do what he calls you to do. I'm convinced that the more we get this in our hearts, it affects the way we pray. Paul, in praying for the Ephesians, that it would be strengthened with all power through God's Spirit the inner man, he reminded them of who is this one we're talking to? You're asking God for power enablement? to be able to do the things you need to do, to help you with your talk and what you're saying, to help you in terms of self-control, to help you with the area of, of learning to be a patient or a kind or joyful person. Paul says, God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. Sometimes I think we think that God's power is about this big, and it can only do this. It can only get me to church. You know, it can only get me to maybe read my Bible twice a week. It can only get me to, you know, we have God in a little box. Meditate on Ephesians 3.20 and say to yourself, who are we talking to when we say, God, I need your help to do the things you've called me to do? He is able. He's able. Look at a quote now from Arthur Pink. Again, these people have some great, great quotes. I've tried to put them in your notes. They're microscopic, but I hope you can read them because they're so helpful to meditate on later as you think about the implication of this. Arthur Pink, Nothing is too hard for God. If God were stinted in might and had a limit to His strength, we might well despair. That's the truth, isn't it? But seeing that God is clothed with omnipotence, no prayer is too hard for Him to answer. You believe that? All right, Give me an amen when I read through this. All right? let's, let's try this. I want some participation here. No prayer is too hard for him to answer. No need is too great for him to supply. No passion is too strong for him to subdue. No temptation is too powerful for him to deliver from. And no misery too deep for him to relieve. Amen. That is the God to whom we seek help from whom we seek help. God, you enable me to do what you call me to do. I look to you. He is God omnipotent. Another another I would just say is an impact is that it should have on believers, it should fill us with humility. Humility. 1 Peter chapter 5, very interesting text of scripture where Peter writes to the believers there, he says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Humble yourself under what? God's mighty hand. And then he goes on to say, that God may exalt you at the proper time. Now what's he saying here? I think he's saying this. He's saying, I'm writing to people who are suffering under a very strong time of persecution by the romans and there are many of you who are saying god where are you what are you doing you're really dropping the ball here because we're going through it and what peter is saying i want you to humble yourself and realize god is in control and when god chooses to and the time is right he has the power to lift you up in his time And I think what he's saying here is to say, don't you think you know better than God and question what God's doing because God is sovereign, God is all-powerful, and what is happening is a part of His plan. Somehow, Romans 8, 28, 29. And therefore, humble yourself to say, God, I am not in control. I'm not the one in charge here. Help me to submit myself to you. Help me to trust you in the middle of this and to know that someday when you choose when it's the right time, you're going to change things to be right the way they ought to be. That's not easy to pray, folks. But if you truly believe that God's omnipotent, it ought to knock you down a notch or two and teach us to be humble before Him. A humble heart chooses to rely upon Almighty God by also, what, casting our anxieties upon Him. You keep reading the text there, he talks about being worried. We forget that God is in control, that God is powerful. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, in order to keep me from becoming proud and, and, uh, and pompous and because of the blessings he had been given, he says, I've learned now to boast in my weaknesses so that God's strength will be made perfect. It's totally reversal of human, human wisdom. And so the more I know of God's power, the more I'll humble myself. Number four, God's omnipotence is meant to fill believers with spiritual longings and yearnings that other people might know God And his power. The more I know of God's power, the more I'm going to become desirous of seeing that power at work in the people around me. I'm praying it for myself, of course, but I'm also praying for others. And this has been drawn out so much in Paul's prayers. If you look at Paul's prayers, I've listed them, Colossians 1, Ephesians 1. Paul prays for other people because he knows that as he disciples them, as he's trying to apply biblical truth to them... He needs to see God be at work in them, to change them, to give them strength to do the things they don't naturally do apart from His enabling power. I wonder how many of us pray with that in mind for our children. Sometimes we think that we have the gift of persuasion and I can tell you what you need to know and I can just put you in your place because I am your father and I am the one, you know, we think that we can just by our articulating of the, our genius wisdom that we have, or saying what our dad used to say or our mother used to say years ago, and you find ourselves repeating the same stupid phrases, you know, I told you, you know, whatever. Rather than go down that road, what if you put a little more effort and emphasis on praying for your children, that God's power be working them. Get your Bible open and read Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, and start reading those prayers that Paul prayed. Say, I'm praying for this for my family. I'm praying it for my husband. I'm praying it for my wife. I'm praying it for my mother. I'm praying for my aunt and my uncle. I'm praying for the people around me. God, would you do your powerful work in them? What would happen if we did that? To have a little less lecturing and a little bit more what? A little more interceding. Number six, number five, sorry, skip five. Because of the omnipotence of God, we can be filled with hope in the midst of spiritual warfare. I am so convinced that many of us are attuned to the mentality that we want to live a life that we can be just comfortable. As long as I'm just got everything, all my needs met, I'm just gonna sit back and just relax. I just want the lawn, I want a lawn chair view of spiritual living. And Paul says in Ephesians 6, folks, you're in battle here. You're not on a cruise. You're in battle. And so he says, verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in what? In the strength of His might that you might what? Take your stand in battle. Not sit over on the sidelines. Not somehow hang out with everybody in the the fortress. But standing in the battle. In what? In the strength of His might. And some of you are aware that when it comes to praying or when it comes to sharing your faith or when it comes to living a holy life, you are in a battle. And the battle often is right here, isn't it? The battle's right here in your mind. And so Paul says, listen, your strength is not going to be found in trusting in yourself, relying on yourself. You need power from God. And so he then emphasizes all the different aspects of the armor of God and says you need every single one of them. And that's the way. And then he ends that by verse 18 saying, Pray, 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 pray. You need help. So, in the midst of that spiritual battle, there's there's God's help available to us. Number six. God's omnipotence is to fill us with zeal to evangelize. Since God alone has power to overcome spiritual death, spiritual blindness, and the hardness of proud human hearts, we can therefore be confident that sharing the gospel is not an act of futility. Do you hear me? If you're confident that God has the power to overcome spiritual death, spiritual blindness, and the, and the proud hardness of proud hearts, then you therefore have the confidence to go ahead and share the gospel. The, po- the gospel, according to Romans 16, Romans 16, the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. There's power, my friend, in the gospel to change lives. And we need to have that gospel reapplied to our lives every day that we live. It's not the gospel just for people who are lost. The gospel also is something we need to apply and preach to ourselves every day. Number seven, knowing God has unlimited power to do all he wills to do will prompt us to pray earnestly for revival. We've been doing a series on Wednesday nights in our midweek Bible study about revival. Looking at various revivals from the past in Wales. Unbelievable things happening in, in Wales uh, back in 1903, 1904. Uh, the first and second great awakenings in our own nation. It always began with a sense in which people looked around and they said, Wow, things look bleak. Spiritually speaking, things are really declined. We have reached new lows. The level of drunkenness in the society, the level of lawlessness, the level of more low morals, and, and the way in which people are behaving and ways in which people's language has just gone down, down, down. Do we not sense that in our day? I mean, we need to see the work of God pushing back the kingdom of darkness and... And and in the midst of all that, the church is lethargic. The church is lacking in zeal. The church is lacking in holiness. We need to see God's power reignite a passion in God's people for His glory and for the purity of, of the church. And I don't think it's ever going to happen, my friend, through some marketing scheme of some sort of material that they're going to somehow sell to all the churches in America. It happens through the Holy Spirit who begins to change people's hearts and lives, bringing the church to its knees in repentance and empowering them to share their faith and then seeing people come to Christ in great numbers. I long for that. Oh, how I long for that. Because let me tell you something. The more I listen to the news and all of these talking heads about what the government's going to do and what the government doesn't do, I'm like, the government isn't going to solve the biggest problems of our society. I don't care who's elected. Now, you should be involved in the process. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying the problems we have cannot be solved in Washington or Albany or even somewhere in Hopog or wherever the Suffolk County offices are or whatever. It has to do with people's hearts changed by the gospel. Okay, that's all about the sermon. Let me make one final point. If we talk about and affirm the omnipotence of God, let me say a word to those who do not yield or submit themselves to God's supremacy, God's power and might, and God's majesty. If you're an unbeliever, if God is truly omnipotent, it makes no sense, if you're an unbeliever, to defy Him. It makes no sense to defy the one who is omnipotent. And by this, I would have been meditating on Psalm 2. Psalm 2 talks about the people who are devising schemes against God. And they are scheming against God and His anointed one, the Messiah, and they're doing whatever they can to oppose God and His ways. And the text goes on to say that the Lord scoffs at such people. better word would probably be He laughs at them. Because it says He will terrify them in His fury. It says in Psalm 2, verses 11 and 12, Do homage to His Son, lest He become angry and you perish in the way. For God's wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Do not be a fool and think you can raise your fist to God Almighty and somehow think you're going to triumph over Him somehow think you're going to thwart His ways and you'll get your way in the end. It is utter foolishness. And I urge you, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and acknowledge Him to be the one who is Lord and King over all and yield yourself to Him through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Almighty Father, we come to You asking that You might fill all of us here today with the knowledge of Your will. Lord, that we might walk in a way that is worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we might please Jesus in every aspect of our life. That you might bring fruit forth in all of the various ways in which we offer ourselves and efforts through this coming week. And Lord, I pray that you would increase in us the knowledge of you. That we might increasingly know you. And therefore that you would strengthen us with all power. According, according to the power that you possess in the realm of glory, supreme and lifted up over all, so that, Lord, we might attain to all steadfastness and patience. that We might be a people who keep going, trudging on in the midst of difficulties, not giving up in the midst of battle, not being conformed to the squeeze of the world that wants us to become more in keeping with their philosophy. But, Lord, we'd be increasingly joyously giving thanks to You. Lord, none of these things will ever happen. None of these things will ever take place apart from Your great power. Lord, work. Work in us Your power to change us. To give us new energies and zeal. To make us different, Lord, from what we have been. Help us to know that the power that you've begun to work in us is the same power that's going to keep us all the way till the end. And so give us hope, Lord, in your power. And Father, I pray that we might walk humbly before you, earnestly seeking your face, praying for ourselves, praying for other people, that we would see and know that power in us. And Lord, that we would see revival power come in our church right here in this part of Long Island and Suffolk County, Lord, that may we see revival power of the Holy Spirit bringing a sense of great reverence and humility and repentance among your own people and seeing many people come to Christ through the power of the gospel. These are our prayers. We ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.